0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christchurch this um, summer's morning. (laughs) Um, I think I've got some bands to publish, so I publish the bands of Andrew Ben Kingsbury and Tony Elizabeth Middleton, both of this parish. This is for the second time of asking. If anyone has any cause for concern, please speak to me afterwards. Are they here this morning? No. Shall we pray for them? Father, we pray for this couple who both live in our parish. Uh, Lord, be with them as they prepare for their marriage. And Lord. that they may see the place, the central place, that you could have within their relationship. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, Asa has got something to share, and then Ian is going to come up and share something with us as well.
1: Sarah's got her visa. <laughs> I think I'd like to explain who Sarah is to those who don't know. Sarah is a missionary in South Africa. She works in a center called Morning Star, and it's, for, it's a day center for children who are affected by AIDS and HIV. And Sarah's been there for 13 years. And every few years, she has to have her visa renewed so that she can stay in the country. And in March uh, 2021, she gave in her application. That's 17 months ago. Normally, it takes a few weeks. And during those 17 months, we have prayed and pleaded and asked the Lord to, for that visa to be released. And then uh, recently, Sarah recognized that the Lord God is sovereign. And he had promised never to leave her. He had promised to lead and guide her through life. And she accepted that she did not have to plead but to submit to God's plan for her. She knew that his ways are not our ways, and neither are his thoughts our thoughts. And now today we can rejoice that the right time has come for the visa to be released, and we thank God for his grace. And Sarah will visit England for a few weeks as soon as Morningstar can spare her. And she can get a flight after she had uh, had her visa, she had a long journey home, and she decided she'd go into a tea shop and have a cup of tea before leaving and that's what happened in the tea shop I don't know if you can you can see the the board. it's from isaiah forty one I don't know if anybody's got it ready. At hand, I haven't got a Bible here. Yes, I have. And that was such a blessing to her that she decided to ask somebody to take a picture of her. Isaiah 41, verse 13. It says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Asa. Let's just pray for Sarah, shall we? So, Father, we thank you so much for answering prayer for Sarah. And, Lord, we look forward to welcoming her amongst us in a few weeks' time. Lord bless her and keep her. And Lord, make your face to shine upon her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ian.
2: Morning. Um, you're probably aware about the situation in Ukraine. Uh, I have a friend out who's a pastor. He's actually based in Kiev. And I had an urgent prayer request come through from him um, yesterday afternoon saying can we please pray You're during this week because it's, it's, uh, there's uh, chances of um, troops coming from Belarus to close off the whole of Kiev and that whole of that area so it's a very very dis- dangerous situation. He's actually got three of his sons who are on the front line guarding Kiev. He himself has been called up because uh, he was a reservist to actually do the same thing to actually pr- try and protect the, protect the city. But it's a very, very dangerous and volatile situation, as you probably remember. The thing is, we don't actually hear m- too much of what goes on on the ground out there. We just hear the bits the, the television services and the reporters are allowed to, allowed to pray. His name is Sasha. He has three sons, and his wife um, escaped to the USA right at the beginning of the conflict. Thank you.
0: Thank you, and I think we should pray, don't you? So, Father, we um, lift up the situation in Ukraine. Father, it seems so huge to us, but, Lord, you are ruler of all. We don't understand why things happen the way they do, but we do understand that people are motivated by selfish reasons. Lord, we pray particularly for Ian's friend and his three sons. Lord, we ask for your protection around them. Father, we ask for mighty miracles. Lord, we pray that you will stay the hand of the Belarusian president. And Lord, we pray that somehow this situation in the Ukraine will be resolved for good and not for evil. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. We're going to have our first couple of songs now, um, which Sue and the musicians are going to lead. So would you like to stand if you're able and we will sing 10,000 Reasons. pray for the children and young people as they as they go out father we pray that as the children go out to prepare leading the prayers for us later in the service that you will anoint them in their speaking and their thinking and in their preparation bless them lord we pray amen we're going to move on to our confession and this is from the Iona community in Scotland and the words should appear on the screen so we say together before God with the people of God I confess to my brokenness to the ways I wound my life the lives of others and the life of the world may God forgive you Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. And again together. Before God, with the people of God, we confess to our brokenness, to the ways we wound our lives, the lives of others, and the life of the world. May God forgive you. Christ renew you. And the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. We're going to sing our second song now before Peter comes to preach. It's Speak, O Lord. Would you like to stand if you're able? Uh, for our, we do, Jacqueline, thank you. Um, just as Jacqueline comes up, um, some of you who may have read the passage already will realise it's one of those difficult passages that maybe we would prefer wasn't in the Bible. Um, <laughs> can I encourage you to listen with open hearts and open ears? Uh, I know Peter has strived hugely this week um, in, in what to say and what to bring us um, So we pray that we will have a fresh um, understanding of God's word to us this morning. Thank you, Jacqueline. The
3: reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 3, and as you probably gathered, the uh, theme this morning is on marriage. 1 Peter 3. Wives. In the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over, without talk, by the behaviour of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right, and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord.
4: Well, good morning. Yes, what a challenge I have in this sermon, my goodness. Uh, if you were here last week, or oh, maybe you heard it online, uh, you may have uh, remember hearing Susie say that when you hear uh, this, this reading, or you hear uh, 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 1 Peter being read, um, different things may be firing off in your brain as you hear it. And this is certainly one of those passages. Uh, isn't it? And uh, that's uh, certainly true this morning. So we've got these verses, haven't we? These are challenging verses. Verse 1, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Uh, verse 4, wives, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And verse 7, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Well, maybe we need a joke right at the start just to kind of, you know, help us out a bit. So here we go. Just a, a little joke. There's a, a marriage counsellor who uh, was um, talking to a wife who was having problems with her husband. And so the counsellor said, maybe your problem is you're waking up grumpy every morning. And she said straight back, uh, no, I always, let him in. I always let him sleep in late. Well... This is a minefield of a passage and uh, I think we need to pray again because uh, we need to discern what the Lord is saying to us through this uh, because the Lord wants to speak to us through Scripture. He is faithful to his word. And so, so let's, let's come before him in prayer before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we open your word, as we read your word, that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to move in us and challenge us and transform us by your word. Because we believe your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and that it is relevant to today in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we pray you would work through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. So you all know, uh, of course, we're looking at 1 Peter, this letter we've been looking at throughout the summer, and uh, we know that this is uh, written by the Apostle Peter, and it's sent to the early church right across the Mediterranean, particularly to the church in southern Turkey. And uh, the church, we know, is going through all sorts of hard times and persecution, and so Peter is encouraging them in their suffering. And Peter is, this is the same man who walked with Jesus those three years, those precious three years of Jesus' ministry on on this earth. He was there with Jesus, listening and watching. And now he comes to advise the early church in there as they are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. How are they going to give glory to Jesus in this dire situation that they are in? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, considered verse 13, and we saw this in chapter 2. Peter says, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor, who is a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So Peter says, submit yourselves to the political leaders, your political leaders, be under their authority. Even if you don't agree with them, you need to show them respect and honor. So long as they don't do anything that goes against God's laws, that is. So there's that kind of caveat. But he says, show them respect and honor as your political leaders. It's not easy, is it? Even now we've got this challenge in, in front of us in the Bible, but it's not, it's not easy being a Christian, is it? But that's the first challenge. And then he changes his, his perspective, and he looks at the workplace, so from politics to the workplace, and this is what we looked at last week with Susie. And so we saw that he is addressing household slaves at this point, household servants, and we read in that passage uh, from last week that uh, slaves or servants are to submit to their boss, their employer, uh, they may be ungodly. They may be unfair. They may be cheating these servants harshly and un- unfairly. And yet, Peter says, submit to their authority. Again, so long as they don't go against God's will and law. And then we, uh, he, he turns his attention to the passages that we have in front of us today. And so he turns his attention to the family. Particularly the relationship between a husband and a wife. And a question he's, he's asking his listeners, his readers, to think about is, how does a Christian wife or husband live in a hostile home? What I mean by that is, is, you know, uh, living under the authority of a spouse who is not a Christian and maybe perhaps hostile to the Christian faith. How are they to live in that situation? And just a note, and Susie pointed this out to me a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't noticed it, Um, as i would read this letter before, but notice that Peter addresses slaves first, and then he talks to women, and then, only then, he talks to men. So Peter inverts the normal social structure, the normal social scale, as it it were, and he addresses those who are the lowest in society first. He talks to the the servants first, and then he talks to wives, he talks to the women next, and only then does he talk to the men. Interesting, isn't it? And, it? and it reflects what Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. So, when we read a passage like this in Scripture, we've got to do some work. We've got to put it into context. And we've got to think about well, what does the, the passage say in the context of the letter? What does the, the passage say in the context of the time, the cultural context of the time? And what does it say in the wider context of God's plan? And so it's context, context, context. You've got to do a bit of work when you look at this kind of reading. And the reason is, of course, that uh, you, uh, depending on how you heard it, it you know, this is, in our, to our modern ears, there's a lot of this that sounds really out of place and even quite offensive to modern ears. And so before you think, Peter is a male chauvinist, dot, 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 <laughs> we need to understand what is going on for women and wives in that culture 2,000 years ago in Peter's day so in Peter's day women are not treated very highly and that is an understatement women were not allowed to have an education like the men Uh, women were not allowed to have a job Uh, their status uh, was much lower in society than the men Uh, they were not treated equally A wife was treated much more like a piece of property than a person But then Jesus enters the scene and Jesus treats women with radical equality and radical respect. And the teaching of Jesus, the message of Jesus, is that even though all of us have sinned, all humanity has sinned and is separated from God, men and women and children alike can all be saved by the grace of God. Peter points that out in verse 24 of the reading we had from last week. Uh, Let's just look at that again. This is radical Christian teaching. Verse 24, chapter 2. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So this is salvation across the board. This is salvation for everybody. This is men and women and children. All can come to Jesus and be forgiven from their, and, and be set free from their sins and be restored in a right relationship with God. Everyone can do that. And Paul, St. Paul, who some would say is even more of a misogynist than Peter, states this in his letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter three, twenty-eight, famous verse. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. You are all one. You are all equal in Jesus. And so this is the radical uh, kingdom of God, isn't it? This is the radical teaching of, of the New Testament. We are all equal in God's eyes. There is no one who is higher in status than anybody else because by grace alone we are saved. We are all children of God by his grace. None of us has earned that status by living a good life. None of us has earned that status because we are better or because of the gender we are are of or the, the, the group we come from or the ethnic group or whatever it is. None of that gives us salvation. It is grace alone. And so therefore we are all equal in God's eyes. And so this is radical, revolutionary teaching in the Roman Empire. So imagine what happens when in a male-dominated culture women are now being treated equally in the Christian community. Imagine what happens in a family when a woman becomes a Christian but her husband does not. He doesn't believe the word of God about Jesus. And the very fact that a woman Would go against her husband's religion was already perceived as an attack against him because the whole family was supposed to follow him. The the father of the family uh, was the leader of the family, and and everybody was called to respect and follow his lead. That's just the way it is in that society. And then the woman, if she became a Christian, she then starts to be treated equally by him, even though he's not a Christian. Maybe she starts using that freedom in Christ to, uh, to wear uh, different articles of clothing uh, that is not allowed by the culture. Or maybe she challenges him in other ways. The, the most fundamental challenge that she would have brought to him was in the very fact that she was now in relationship with God. And God is the, the highest authority of all. And so by being a Christian, she is now relating to God as a higher authority than her husband. And so that would have challenged him. What's going on, he would be thinking. My wife is now relating to to someone else that I don't know in a way that that she's not relating to me. God is now in charge of her life. And so he would have begun to feel uneasy about that. And so you can begin to see the sparks starting to fly in the family, can't you, in this, in this culture? And, and the, you know, if you think about our, the world we are in today, our modern-day world, the, the nearest equivalent really would be in a fundamentalist Muslim country, like maybe Pakistan or Iran. Because in the Muslim religion, it's the wife you know, if the wife in that Muslim religion uh, culture, if the wife uh, was to become a Christian and start asking to be t- treated equally, walking next to her husband, not walking behind, not wanting to wear the headscarf, etc., what would happen? Would she win her husband to Christ? Most likely she wouldn't. She'd probably make him angry, and, and, and he would push her away, and, and in a sense, to be pushed away from, from faith in Christ. I think the key verse in this whole reading is verse 1, uh, where it says, right at the start of the chapter, Peter says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In the same way. So Peter's referring back to, to what he's already been arguing. He's saying, in, in the same way, likewise, as the, the slaves, as a household slaves submitted to their master, he now says, wives, you are called to submit to your husbands. So I don't think Peter's trying to convert social structures so women have equality. I think what he's doing is, he's saying two big things, and these are big, significant things. He's saying Live with Christian integrity. He's saying to the wives, live like Jesus. Live with Christian integrity. And second, he's talking about Christian witness. He's saying by your example, by their example, people who are far from Jesus, who are far from the Lord, will see the difference that Jesus makes in their life, in their life, and be won over to Christ. And so sometimes in order to do that, that means living according to current social structures so long as they don't cause us to sin or go against God's laws. Do you remember uh, Susie talked last week about people who uh, are, are missionaries or, or have a, a, a sense of mission, calling to mission? And uh, she said that we are all missionaries. We all have that front line in our lives we all mix with non-christians in our lives don't we but some christians are called to go to foreign cultures to go overseas and so when one, when a modern day missionary uh, goes to a culture that is very different to their own they dress like the locals eat like the locals and live like the locals that's what missionaries do and that follows what uh, paul says to the corinthians really key verse. Paul says, to the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So Peter is is using that principle that, that Paul teaches and he's saying, be concerned with reaching those who are far from Jesus, even if it means for a wife to submit or show respect for their unbelieving husband. But immediately, of course, there's a tension, isn't there? There's a tension because Christians are now citizens of the kingdom of God. We live as Christians. uh, Christians are called to live under God's rule and God's laws. And God has said, and Jesus says, there is equality between men and women. And God is our king. That's what Jesus says. That's what Paul says. That's what Peter says. And that, we've got to go then, in the Bible, we've got to go way back to Genesis. Got to go back to the Garden of Eden because that's where this tension emerges. This is where it all begins. Go back to the Garden of Eden, way back in Genesis, the first few chapters of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were equals. God created them equals. And yet when they ate of that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, God Punished man and woman and all their descendants, and so there, there's a curse. There's a, a curse comes upon humanity. God said to Eve, "Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." Genesis three sixteen. Notice though, this is not God's original design. It's a product of sin, disobedience. Ideally, in a Christian marriage. Couples treat each other re- with respect and equality s- and submit to each other. And the same teaching is Ephesians in Ephesians 5, verse 21, where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what's happening there is that curse from the Garden of Eden is being broken when the husband and wife treat each other with respect and Dignity. The curse is broken. However, however, Peter here is addressing wives who are married to uh, a husband who is not a Christian and they may not be concerned with equality and who therefore live under the curse, which as Christians, they've been set free from. So what does she do? what does she do to live for jesus in that context in that relationship because wives are told to be submissive because that's the norm for that day and by doing anything else is going to damage her witness for jesus to her husband and she needs to be like jesus So since a wife is to submit to her husband, does that mean she should put up with abuse? Such as being verbally assaulted on a regular basis. Should she put up with being beaten so that she can suffer like Jesus? No. No. Because it is asking them to do something which is inconsistent with God's character and God's commands. And in that situation, the wife must come out of it and from under it. Peter's point is, is that Jesus did not respond evil for evil. When Jesus was assaulted, he did not respond with verbal assaults back. When they beat Jesus, he did not beat them back. He didn't call down God's wrath on them. Instead, he forgave them. But it wasn't, about giving, it wasn't about giving in, it wasn't about him being weak at all. Jesus was not a victim of their bullying. If you read those accounts in the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus only says what he knows is right to say. He's not pushed around by his bullies. And yet astoundingly, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He forgave those who beat him, who deserted him, and who crucified him. An abusive person will never be helped or saved by appeasing them or giving in to their abuse. And that cycle of abuse can only be broken when the person who's being abused steps out of it and goes and gets help. And so Peter is saying to wives, if your husband is not a believer, if your husband is not a Christian or doesn't live for Jesus, you still are called to model your life after Christ. Treat your husband with respect, even if his behavior doesn't deserve it. Peter writes, doesn't he? Live your lives with purity and reverence because of God's work in your life. Let your life be a witness to him. Sorry, let your life be a witness to your partner, to your husband, not necessarily your words. That they may be won over, he says, without words by the behavior of Of their wives. Peter's saying, let God work on their hearts as they see how your behavior, your life is different to others. How will He come to faith if their life is hypocritical? He's saying, live with that integrity for Jesus in your marriage. And God wants your husband to walk closely with Him. Peter's saying. God Peter wants, God wants uh, the, the non-Christian husband to have that love relationship with Jesus. That's what uh, God wants. And if you're listening to this, maybe you're listening to it online or you're listening to it there now here in person, if you're, you're a Christian husband and your wife isn't, then this teaching applies to you as well. As you live for Christ in your home, then hopefully your wife will come to Christ also. But with all of this, with all of this, there are no guarantees, are there? Of course there aren't. There's no guarantees that this will come to pass because there's free will. People have their own free will. They will choose to do what they want to do. Lots of other factors come into play here. But like all of us, if we're Christians, like all of us, It's about loving God and loving each other and the rest is up to God. But I also want to say this. I also feel I need to say this. It is so important how we as a fellowship treat non-Christian spouses or believers in our church. We need to ask ourselves, do we value them? Do we pray for them? Do we include them? Do we uh, take care of how we speak about them? As a fellowship, we need to take those things seriously or else we'll be seen as unloving and uncaring. And we do it not just because we want them to become Christians, we do it because we simply care about them and care for them. And I also want to acknowledge I'm saying all of this as someone who is married to a Christian. And so I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to have a non-believing partner. I fully acknowledge that. And so if I've said anything wrong or hurtful, please forgive me. And then, and then we get to verses 3, 4, and 5, where Peter says this. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. These are very tricky verses for a man to preach on. And I say that because he was married, to, uh, married and I've got two grown-up daughters who are listening to me right now. So these are very difficult. We all know, don't we, that there is huge pressure. Huge pressure on girls to look a certain way. And it's not just on girls, let me say this. It's not just on girls or women. Um, but there's a huge industry out there that is, that is asking people to look in a certain way social media, TV, etc., etc. It's all about having the right look for men and women. It's a very big business. And so what Peter says here is very countercultural. He says to wives, and dare I say women in, in general, he says, cultivate inner beauty rather than spending time on clothes and the right hairdo. At this point, I'm going to dodge a cabbage or two if they get chucked to me, but they are. Um, But the Roman culture, this is the Roman culture. The Roman culture stressed modesty. That's a cherished virtue in the Roman culture, modesty. And in fact, in the Roman culture, for women to get all dressed up and made up possibly could indicate prostitution. And it could turn the husband away from faith in Christ if she is abusing her freedom and focusing on herself to look good, etc. And so again, this is sensitive stuff, isn't it? But Peter is saying that husbands are likely, more likely to come to Christ because of their wife's inner beauty, not their looks. Now he's not being legalistic. I don't think he's being legalistic here. I don't think he's, uh, he's not telling women what they can and cannot wear. I don't think he's saying that. He's not saying it's a sin to look good. Absolutely not. But what he's trying to ask them to to nurture is is inner beauty, gentleness, graciousness, modesty, and not to focus on the outward appearance. After all, the most attractive quality is not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. Uh, Debbie says frequently to our girls, you are beautiful on the inside and on the outside. You know, it's making the point that it's who we are on the inside, in our inner world, that inner beauty, the character that is really what matters. And, and we know, Debbie and I know that, that that you know our girls are being bombarded and you know by messages and, and media and images about outward beauty. And we want to affirm them in their inner and our beauty Peter's saying it's about a changed life it's a changed life that speaks louder than words he's saying and that is the most effective way to win someone else for Christ in your family live your faith quietly and consistently and with an attitude of grace in your home and your family will see Christ in you And then he turns his attention to husbands. Might be on slightly safer ground here. He says to husbands, he tells husbands, be considerate, be considerate as you live with your wives. The New Living Translation of these verses says this, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is an equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. So for husbands, he's saying being considerate is more about than being a nice guy or a gentleman opening the door so that uh, they can go in first. It's, It's more than that. It's deeper than that. He's implying that a husband's consideration of his wife is based on his knowledge of his wife. Her needs, her desires, her gifts, her abilities. Peter says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. And this teaching is um, really expanding on Ephesians 5 teaching. If you want to read that later on, Ephesians 5 um, says this, verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. So Christ is the model again, isn't he? He's the the role model for this. He shows what it means for husbands to be considerate of their wives. Jesus knew, he knows our greatest need. He knows our greatest need is forgiveness. And Jesus knows how to meet that need. He knew how to meet that need. He knew it would take him to the cross. And he went to the cross because of love for us and consideration for us. And he unselfishly gave his life for us and put us first. He endured pain and suffering that we will never, never understand on the cross. And so Peter's applying that to, to husbands. He says, husbands, be considerate of your, of your wives and know, get to know their needs. Understand them and unselfishly put them first. Just as Jesus held nothing back in his love for his bride, the church, and so he says, husbands, that's a very good model to follow. One commentary on this passage says this A man who respects his wife will protect, honor, and help her. He will stay with her. He will respect her opinions, listen to her advice, be considerate of her needs, and relate to her both privately and publicly with love. Courtesy, insight, and tact. And so a Christian husband is called to protect and honor and respect his wife as the weaker partner. Now, when Peter's referring to the weaker partner, he's not saying that women are um, less in any way. He's not saying they are weaker in any sense at all emotionally or anything like that. I think, if anything, he's referring to physical strength. That's what he's referring to. But actually, I think women are tougher than men, quite frankly. You know, just let a man get, man get pregnant and uh, give birth, and, my goodness me, forget about it. we complain complaining for the whole nine months. Um, no, what, what Peter is addressing here is physical strength. I think that's what he's talking about. And so Peter's saying a husband should never use his physical strength to dominate his wife. And remember again, this is the Roman culture. And so abuse in that culture is even more commonplace than in our own. Because basically they're allowed to get away with it. There was, there was uh, no law against the husband punishing his wife. There are very limited rights for wives at that time. However, Peter says, a a Christian husband must never intimidate or abuse his wife in any way, physically, sexually, verbally, or any other way, but treat his wife with respect, since she is equal in God's eyes. And he says, a fellow heir of eternal life. It's about reciprocity, isn't it? Reciprocity is the key to relationships within the Christian faith. Treat each other with respect and understanding, courtesy. And finally, Peter talks about the consequence of not following these instructions. He says, he says something really quite sort of stern, doesn't he? Christian husbands who refuse to honor their wives will see their prayers being hindered. Either God won't receive those prayers, or the husband will find it difficult to pray. A husband who is abusive, disrespectful, or who belittles his wife, is defying the will of God. As I said right at the start, this is a very challenging piece of scripture, isn't it? But do you see how revolutionary it is? This is a revolutionary teaching. Men and women are called to treat each other with respect in the marriage relationship, and by so doing, Stop that curse. Break that curse from the Garden of Eden. Because we can live in the freedom that Christ has won for us on the cross. But I also realize this passage may have, as I've spoken about it, it may have thrown up all sorts of challenges for you. Difficult stuff is coming out of this, possibly for you. Maybe you're in an unhappy marriage. Uh, Maybe you've never been married and you want to. Or maybe talk about submission is just so difficult and you're really struggling what the Bible is saying here. Let me encourage you to seek somebody out before you go this morning and pray with them. And uh, I think there's prayer ministry uh, that will be be offered as well after the service. I'll let Ursula talk about that. But as I finish, let me suggest that Christianity is all about submitting to each other. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to submit to their wives. And all Christians submit in service to others as we follow the example of Christ. And I'll finish with these verses of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever would be first amongst you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Fathers, we submit to your word. As we come under the the authority of your word, we pray, Lord, that you would give us that ability to, to listen and receive what you're saying to us. That, Lord, you would help us as church to live out this radical teaching in this world. That you would help us to Follow Jesus, live for Jesus, live like Jesus in this world. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your love upon marriage relationships in our church. Pour out your love upon us as we struggle in this area. Pour out your love upon us as we listen to each other. And Lord, help us as we go into the world to live for you in the world and shine for you in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Peter. Um, Would somebody like to get the young people back into church? Thank you. And while we wait for them to come back, Sue is just going to play uh, a song for us, um, a very well-known chorus, which I suggest we just sit and listen to and reflect on some of the, some of the things that Peter has said because there was a, an awful lot for each one of us in, in that word. So thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. And as Peter's already mentioned, there'll be prayer available after the service if anyone would like to talk and pray through anything with somebody. Now, the children and young people and their leaders are going to lead us in our intercessions. After each prayer, I will say the words, Father of all, please could you respond? Hear our prayers. So, Father of all, hear our prayers. Thank you, Jeanette.
3: Lord, when we feel stormy and angry inside, bring us peace. We pray for justice in our lives and this
0: world. Father of all, hear our prayers. Dear God, Thank you for the exciting things that energise us. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit that gives us enthusiasm and energy for the Lord. Father of all, hear Hear our Our prayers. Dear God, help us face our problems and things that make us sad. We know no problem is too
3: small or too big for you.
0: Father of all, hear our prayers. Thank you, God,
3: for the happy things you bring into our lives that make us feel warm inside.
0: Father of all, hear our prayers. A rainbow is a symbol of God's
3: promises of hope. We pray for all those that need hope and comfort at the moment.
0: Father of all, Hear our Thank you all very much. Uh, dear God, we just want to say that
3: the, as the weather changes and our lives change and we have ups and downs, but
0: God stays the same and is always with us. Amen. 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 Thank you all very much. And shall we say a shortened version of the creed together? we believe in god the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named we believe in god the son who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with his love we believe in god the holy spirit who strengthens us with power from on high we believe in one god Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now that COVID is falling once again, we would like to encourage you to feel free to move around and share the peace if you'd like to, whilst being aware that there are some who would still like to maintain a social distance. So can I suggest that if you would prefer not to be approached, that you stay seated Once the invitation to share the peace has been issued. But for now, let's share the peace. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Please feel free to share the piece. G. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give and Blessed are you, Lord God, our light and our salvation. To you be glory and praise forever. From the beginnings you have created all things and all your works echo the silent music of your praise. In the fullness of time you made us in your image, the crown of all creation. You give us breath and speech, that with angels and archangels and all the powers of heaven, we may find a voice to sing your praise. Holy, holy, holy Holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. How wonderful the work of your hands, O Lord. As a mother tenderly gathers her children, you embraced a people as your own. When they turned away and rebelled, your love remained constant. From them you raised up Jesus, our Saviour, born of Mary, to be the living bread in whom all our hungers are satisfied. He offered his life for sinners, and with a love stronger than death, he opened wide his arms upon the cross. On the night before he died, he came to supper with his friends, and taking bread, he gave you thanks. He broke it gave it to them saying take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me at the end of supper taking the cup of wine he gave you thanks and said drink this all of you this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Father, we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. Remember his dying and rising in glory. And we rejoice that he intercedes for us at your right hand. Pour out your Holy Spirit as we bring before you these gifts of your creation, may they be for us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy things in your presence, form us in the likeness of Christ and build us into a living temple to your glory. Bring us at last with all the saints to the vision of that eternal splendour for which you have created us through Jesus Christ, by whom and with whom and in whom, with all the saints before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise, blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever. Amen. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. now and for ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith, receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Please come forward as the stewards direct. If you would like non-alcoholic wine, please go to this table on this side by the organ and the same applies for families who come up. There is non-alcoholic available for children on this table here. Um, if you would like gluten-free please indicate and I will happily serve you with gluten-free Thank you so that the body of Christ keep you in eternal life Amen. and the blood of Christ keep you in eternal life Before we say our final prayer after Communion, let's just briefly remember in prayer those who can't be with us this morning. And so, Father, we bring before you and we name in our hearts those known to us who cannot be with us this morning because of frailty or illness or because they're in residential care. Lord, we ask that your peace and your presence will be with them this week, that, Lord, they will know your blessing on their lives. Lord, be with those who surround them. May they care for them tenderly and compassionately, knowing that they care in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we say together, Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Uh, Would you like to stand for our final song? Take my life and let it be. So before I say the the blessing, I would just like to say thank you for John and Ian for managing the tech and to Sue and the lovely singers for leading us in worship and for the um, children's workers and the children who prepared the lovely intercessions and to Peter, of course, for tackling that difficult passage and bringing us such a a thoughtful, well-prepared word and a reminder that um, prayer is available after the service. If you would like to come forward to this corner here, then Debbie is going to make sure that there are people available to pray with you. And so a blessing. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve our Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.